We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast commentary for Series 11, Episode 6, Can of Worms. Yes, it's the one you've all been waiting for. <laughs> we are going to talk all over the episode in our customary fashion, and after that we're going to do Waffle Men, where we answer some of your questions and topics that you've set us on anything Red Dwarf related. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Ian Symes, and joining me as always are Danny Stevenson. Hello. Jonathan Capps. Hi. And no one else. And so, let's get cracking. Hit play at the end of these pips, if you like. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Actually, I've decided I don't want to watch this. Can we... <laughs> Actually, I've just remembered it. I can't go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've just, just remembered we're all going to watch Can of Worms. Thing. Let's just watch Polymorph again. That was good. We like Polymorph. Yeah. However, episode for one. Can of Worms is uh, the 57th best episode of Red Dwarf of all time, according to this, out of uh, 73. Uh, Comfortably the worst episode in series 11, um, but better than um, one episode in series 12, which you can fill in. Your guess is at home as to which one that was. <laughs> but here we are on Starbug 19. Uh, never referenced in dialogue, just there in the background. There's suddenly loads of Starbugs. Yeah, which kind of, it was always implied that there were shitloads of Starbugs, and certainly we saw shitloads of Starbugs in Series 8. Yes. They had the technology yeah, to do that. Only the good, yeah. But they've previously all been labelled as Starbug 1, which... They did like even though literally the, our introduction to Starbug has the joke about its registration number being Starbug One. I always in my head Starbug One was the model rather than the registration of that specific craft uh, okay. because they crash that specific craft <laughs> in the first episode where it's used and then again in the second one when it's used. So the first terrible thing about this episode is the noise of the marker <laughs> pen on the. It's... <laughs> It, it goes right through me, like squeaky marker pen so, on a whiteboard. <clears throat> we so we we we've um, recently talked through personality surgery in a previous yeah. episode, haven't we? When we we decided that yes, it would be good if you got some. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, no yeah, unnecessary was... hospital visits at the moment. <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it was better than life, where it was used uh, fictionally within the fantasy of better to than life. Fix an annoying woman <laughs> of Rimmer's own creation <laughs> to make her more palatable to him, the person that created her in the first place. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there, yeah, that thus establishing that Rimmer is quite a fucked up person. Hence this. But it's one of many, many things in the episode that just happen. <laughs> Yeah. And then, I mean, I guess this is Chekhov's personality tuck machine. Yeah. In that, like, with it being in the opening scene and then barely referenced again, you kind of know that it's got to turn up at some point, surely. But overall, yeah, this episode, I 
it's rare that I rewatch ahead of the commentaries because I like to come to them fresh. But I've I've watched this so few times in the intervening years that I did watch this in advance. Yeah, you can't lean on previous. That's the thing is that I would never ahead of time watch um, a classic bubble episode before yeah. doing a commentary but i've had to with 11 and especially with this one because this is the now the third time i've seen this episode and i <laughs> co-run a red dwarf fan site <laughs> <laughs> what surprised me was that it's not all entirely terrible but i think that's because of the way it's structured there's just lots of different separate bits that happen and it's kind of like this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. It's just a never-ending cavalcade of situations that are barely glimpsed upon before the next mm. one comes. It's along. hyperactive. So there's, yeah, there's little, there's pockets every now and then where something good happens, but then that's finished and something else comes along and it's usually worse. I don't know if it's my perception, but it seems to like the the stop-start and like kind of scatty nature of the writing of this almost seems to translate over to the performances as well like craig seems a little bit like yeah 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 like you know a little bit um i don't know like overblown i guess um mm. everyone seems a bit a bit like i don't know like especially compared to compared to uh, crisis yeah but it's funny cuz this <clears throat> This wasn't. This was one of the first ones shot, wasn't it? Wasn't it num- episode two that went before the camera, or the second or third one that went before the cameras? Oh, it was saved till last. If it was filmed last, then you'd assume that there was some sort of last-minute rewrites going on, and it was cobbled together like so many other last episodes of a series. But no, there's no excuse for this one. No, this is the second one. So presumably, the decision made for it to go out last over episodes such as Crisis. Or Twentica, I guess. Twentica, Twentica <laughs> um, was recorded last year. Yeah. It always felt like a big, spectacular finale. Yeah. But yeah, they must have thought this is this is a strong one to finish on. Which, ahead of time, it was teased as the one where Cat finally meets a female cat. Um, and so it's going to be a cat-based story that's going to t- deal with cat mythology. So I was looking forward to it. But... Uh, to paraphrase something that I referenced last commentary, um, we were sold a dummy, but we were unhappy with the price negotiated for the dummy <laughs> on this occasion. Yeah, and and to be fair, it was um, it was pretty well executed. Hiding the fact that this was Polymorph Three, basically, was mm. done to perfection. Like it, this was a surprise on broadcast. It's... I think people figured it out. Uh, just from piecing together a few clues, like in the title sequence, there's like the shot of Lister jiggling about the pineapple. Oh right, yeah. Where people right. kind of figured out that it was, but no, but yeah, it wasn't confirmed. Nothing there was over no, like, leaks or anything. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't. There wasn't. Uh, the polymorph didn't appear on the cover of Radio Times that week. No. <laughs> Although there was, actually, there was a little. Uh, not direct spoiler, but there was an anecdote that came out of the recording of this episode that um, Ian Boldsworth, or Ray Peacock as he was at the time, let slip on um, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast when he was a guest on there. He was talking about doing the warm-up for Red Dwarf Series 11, um, and there was one particular episode where the audience just weren't really up for it, and there wasn't the same energy in the room as there usually is. <clears throat> um, and for example, he asked them at one point, um, about polymorphs and got 
just met with blank faces and people were in there didn't know what polymorphs were. So, uh, A, that was a, a, a hint that polymorphs would be involved, the fact that the warm-up man was talking about polymorphs. But um, mostly, yeah, there is a strange atmosphere in this one because apparently the audience weren't quite as clued up as and quite as heavily fan-heavy as they normally are. Possibly, or... I mean, maybe they're about they're about as they have an appropriate energy level given what's happening in front of them. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looks lovely. Like we've gone past it now, but like when when Lister was asleep um, at the wheel, is that that's actually quite a nice a nice little sequence and and yeah. very nicely directed. <clears throat> It's got all the bits, hasn't it? Yeah, it's got little skits that work. I like the um, <laughs> the joke there with the lens cap being on. Yeah. Although you see him put the lens cap on while they're in the cockpit, which you only notice on a second viewing. It's very, it's 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 quite diligent of him to like. Oh, let's keep the lens cap on. I don't want to. Yeah, don't want to get it dusty. Expensive. Um. And this is a good gag as well. This is a good gag. It was the used in the trailer, if I remember correctly. Oh, of course. I think it's always been said that the Red Dot doesn't really clip very well. Mm. Um, but like this bit, this works standalone. You don't need yeah. much context. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 very appropriate that it comes from an episode that's just like a load of like sketches thrown into a big bin. This this is it was the second occasion uh, after Dear Dave where I felt like I'd come out of a Red Dwarf episode and I'd just watched a Red Dwarf themed sketch show, yeah, rather than a coherent plot. So there's lots of little skits every now and then. Some of them work, some of them don't. Did but, anyone um, was anyone at the recording for this one? I know you just mentioned the Ray Anakin. Loads of people. There's like two hundred odd. Oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> None of us. None of us. No. That's quite yeah, rare. This whole mercenoid thing that just goes absolutely nowhere. Ah, oh, yeah. The monster costume recycled from an episode of Doctor Who. Oh yeah. Mm. Uh, the Rings of Akatan. So Another one of the brilliant. worst episodes of Doctor Who. Genuinely, just an awful, awful episode. Uh, is yeah. Rings of Akatan awful, or is it an awful episode or a nothing episode? I can't quite remember. It's awful, right? Uh, well, maybe a reappraise now that we're in the middle of the Chibnall era. But for <laughs> yeah. for, for, for the pre-Chibnall era, it's a bad episode. Well, Ch- Chibnall era is episode. is nothing. I would say, like yeah. I, I would say the worst mostly, crime, mostly maybe. nothing. Yeah, mostly nothing. This is just like again, like it's a decent joke, but like, where the fuck has this recorder come from? And oh, do you use a dictaphone? <laughs> no, I use, I use finger my finger. Like else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, don't I use my voice? And and oh, okay, this this dictaphone electrocutes people as well for no reason. <laughs> people, massive robots, <laughs> massive indestructible robots. Yep. <clears throat> and then that's over with. Yeah, I mean, 
ten minutes in, we've cycled through three plots so far. Yeah, and not in the good good way that Red Dwarf normally chews through concepts and plots. Like this is mm. this is all over the place. And because his... really the <laughs> the mercenoid was wasn't the buddy in this. Because spoilers, everyone, this Catwoman turns out to be a polymorph. Oh shit! He yeah. was like she is a prisoner here. Yeah. Like, does it not occur to Crichton or Rimmer or Lister? Like, obviously, it's not going to occur to Cat, but does it not occur to any of the others to check out why she's been imprisoned? Yeah. Like, what's what's the story is? Or just kill the guard, the only one who knows. Is it not seen that like the mercenary is more like a simulant, and therefore their intentions are not always going to that they're you know not necessarily benign? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a very subtle yeah. treaty on uh, on on not judging a book by its cover. Yeah. You now we've 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 done this episode a disservice, obviously. <laughs> no, yeah. No, you're right. They assume that if the mercenoid wants this person locked up, then because mercenoids equals bad, yeah. then whoever's locked up must be good. Yeah. And so let's just kickstart that plot. I do like the callbacks to the string game, though. Yeah, and this is mine. That's my. I mean, <laughs> it's it's nice, a nice callback, but like you know, it, it just ends up just not being as funny. <laughs> and like she's doing her absolute best with the material, but I think I like the the cent the central her central performance as Ankita. Is that the is that the name? I think it is. I think so. Is um, it ju- just doesn't work for me, which is another kind of another problem. Although it's not really a kind of a core problem of the episode. Well, no, because I think that's it, isn't it? I think she's done. Oh yeah, she's really. done. Yeah. <laughs> Next time we see her, she's a dead polymorph. I was going to say uh, the acting is much better <laughs> than the fucking acting of the dead polymorph. I have to say. <laughs> Spoilers. Oh, there's a bit here. I think it's here. Uh, well, I noticed last night, Crichton says um, that mechanoid rather than that mercenoid, and that makes it into the final episode. Yeah, <laughs> Robert gets the Robert gets the line wrong and mistakenly says his own species rather than <laughs> the species that is on board. Also, so they've said polymorph in this scene, but some, something that, like early on in the episode when they're talking about Gelf vampires and 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 all this kind of thing, like. It's like they're talking around the word polymorph here, and then later on mm. when they're trying to talk to the cat again, they they say everything to describe it other than the word polymorph, and the cat would know exactly what they were talking about if they just said that's a polymorph. Yeah, <laughs> been through it twice. Yeah, like Lister calls it an insectoid arachnid. It's a polymorph, mate. <laughs> it's a fucking polymorph. Cat's seen two of those episodes. He's been in them. <laughs> Conversely. For the audience, uh, my suspicion is that uh, at some point after uh, production wrapped, they realised that they hadn't really explained what a polymorph was to the audience. Uh, listen out uh, for various points where there's Crichton says lines where you don't see him. He's off screen. Ah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, in slightly different quality, you hear his voice <laughs> saying things like, ah, it must be shape-shifting to protect itself. Or, ah, it's activated its defence mechanism. Things like that. Oh, right, okay. There's just dotted about the episode. There's a few occasions where Crichton has ADR lines to explain what a polymorph is. 
it just it just feels like they just hadn't had time to get this episode right in a, in any way. Like everything just feels rushed and first draft and half and yeah and kind of half baked and like even like the I mean God bless them for trying, but the 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 polymorph that you're going to see later is just you know does not hold a candle to what the model unit it does not hold a candle no. of worms. <laughs> But what's interesting is that because uh, how does the uh, I don't know. <laughs> do I believe just realised it's not interesting? They're meant to have sex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think yeah. Whatever it is, Cat doesn't know what sex is. He doesn't know what sex is supposed to be. No, they obviously never invented pornography in in the cat civilization. Uh, so whatever it is, the polymorph does. He thinks that that's what normal sex is. Yeah, and so he goes into this scene with all the swagger and confidence, and said, "Oh yeah, you know that bit, you know that thing where they open up their massive pipe and shove it down your throat, which I find quite amusing. <laughs> it's it's incredibly crude if you want to interpret it in a certain way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a, it's not a terrible idea, like the the cat being a virgin and wanting to kind of um, you know." explore that side of him it's just it's <laughs> it ends up being addressed in a, a i want to say juvenile way but that's not really fair yeah we wouldn't mind if it was juvenile if it was funnier basically. <laughs> yeah It's like a, it's like a, a shadow time, a metaphor for the quality of this uh, as a polymorph episode. <laughs> sort of a I mean, yeah, I guess you could say the law of diminishing returns has definitely been proven with the polymorph. <laughs> yeah, arc in Red Dwarf. I, I am a fan of emo hawk overall. Yeah, but um, a lot of people are not really a fan of emo hawk. It's better than this shit. By a million miles, it's all. It's also half of another episode. <laughs> like yeah. it, it's um, it's it's really difficult to know where to focus on <clears throat> when talking about this because, like, we we've, we've missed talking about so much stuff just because it's yeah. so hyperactive. Um, we skipped um Dan Barker's fourth consecutive appearance in a Red Dwarf episode this time, <laughs> playing David Attenborough. <laughs> Is this his last now? Uh, last consecutive one. He's in Macocracy. Right, yeah. Was there a, a, a Smegazine story about very cute animals that were like impossible to kill because they were so cute? Um, the Geep. Yeah, or the Jeep is never clear how it's pronounced because it's um, it's a it's a comic. Uh, the genetically engineered something something. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, they were basically yeah little gelfs that looked like cute furry bunnies, and that was their defense mechanism. Um, they couldn't be killed. Well, they could be killed, but no one wanted to kill them. Yeah, and so they ended up overrunning the ship. Um, like what happened on the organ with the rabbits. The yeah. trouble with tribbles. See, ironically, much, yeah. when you say what happened on the Oregon with the rabbits, it's like, was that was that not a polymorph? Who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, just loads of loads of literally fucking rabbits. 
<laughs> Hairy no, <I'm> Uh, yes, I mean, Crime's why not video. just have a, a lightsaber <laughs> scalpel joke? I mean, just throw it in there. Uh, we missed my favourite line of the episode. It's not really because of the line, but it's just the way Craig pronounces the word rattled. <laughs> he's saying he's positively rattled with polymorphs. Rattled! I mean, that's not even... <laughs> I don't want to be picky, but that isn't the word. <laughs> It's riddled. <laughs> riddled is the word. Yeah. <laughs> Rattled. Rattled. Rattling wolf. <laughs> and now we have um, Dad. Yeah. Yeah, condens- this, this is avoided. In- <laughs> condensed into a 20-second montage. It's barely worth even doing the montage. Because they... <laughs> all yeah. the montage is, is he's pregnant. Oh, he's about to have it. Yeah. Oh, he's, not a, he's horrified not a by how heavy he is because because pregnant women are big fat idiots. <laughs> It'd have been funny <laughs> if Crichton caught something different than what he threw. <laughs> <laughs> and I do, I do like this sequence. I do. It's a very yeah. This is one it, of this the must have taken quite a while to make actually. <laughs> of all the sketches that this episode consists of, a series of sketches. This is a good one. I do like how stupid it is. Like it's really silly. And like it's turning into childish things as well, which I quite like. It's like it's turning into stuff that's yeah. like it's young things, like it's a it's a Rubik's cube that turns toys, you know. Yeah, I get in the because we've obviously we've just read uh, the section of Better Than Life that goes into more depth on the polymorphs, and there's something in there, isn't there, about when polymorphs are young, they have a limited range yeah. of shapes that they can shift into. They have to learn the shapes. And so, yeah, they learn with stuff that babies and kids would know. Yeah. And then develop to a hedgehog in a top hat inside a miniature shop. Um, speaking of that, actually. That is a really cute image. <laughs> this is the frustrating thing because there's a li- there's little chunks throughout where if you think, well, if you'd have just focused and, like, if you could skip out all this shit and yeah. start, like, where the main plot is, there's loads of tiny baby polymorphs. Too much fat and in the script. Make more of that aspect, then we'd yeah. have a better episode, I think. Because yeah. the actual stuff with the polymorphs is the strongest bit. Once we have multiple polymorphs here, they could have really fleshed out the the um, the droid part of things as well. Because actually, something we've skipped over is one line, which was when they figure out that the droid was um, flying into a black hole because that was literally the only way he could guarantee the polymorph is dead. That's the mm. first time we've heard that level of like severity around. Um, getting rid of a polymorph since two weeks ago, oh, last week when we when we were going through it on the book, yeah, you know, um, polymorphs had never been taken that seriously in the TV show previously. It's not like you know, you, like you have to burn everything down to be sure that they're dead. Um, yeah. But we get a little taste of that here. And it basically it makes them more like xenomorphs yeah. from Alien, which was the original inspiration. Uh, so obviously they've taken that yeah. in the intervening years Doug has forgotten which bits he nicked from Alien and which bits he didn't and added <laughs> some extra <laughs> stolen bits and then yeah like Danny mentioned with the, the they've already like decided not to do the dad thing it's like Doug narrowly avoided being hit by a bus in 1989 uh, only to 30 years later be hit by the <laughs> same bus <laughs> <laughs> And here we have the return of the personality tuck machine. 
20 minutes later. Yeah. We've, we've also talked over the bit where they say the name of the episode, haven't we? Yeah, that oh. happened about 10 or 20 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has not opened that can of worms. I mean, fair enough, disguise the intent of the episode and all that, so it's a surprise, but... <laughs> I still don't really like whenever, quite understand. Any Lister plus brain thing equals cross eyes. <laughs> <laughs> this is that's a good joke. But the thing that is, that, is a that's good a good joke because <laughs> it's, it's, it's not actually. <laughs> because that is that is playing on your expectations from body swap. Like that yeah. that's been it's smart good. about the show's past, and it's yeah, funny. It's um, I forgot that that was a fake out. Yeah. <laughs> I also enjoyed the bit earlier in the episode where Creighton sits on a screwdriver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, ma- it makes you think that Doug has once again got the golf name thing wrong, but then re- reveals what that no, he knew what he was doing all along. Yeah. That's not the name, it's Creighton sitting on a screwdriver. Why is. Uh... Cool. Why do a mechanoid and a hologram need big woolly coats? <laughs> We've got Angry Lister from. Polymorph one now, but um, not as good, basically, <laughs> and nothing else. Like, but it's an they kind of yeah they've got this version of Lister, which is, and again, it's something that they set up use for a couple of minutes and then completely forget about. Yeah, you've got this weird version of Lister where you remove all his morality, and Lister is a character where he values his sense as a moral center of the crew. He, he prides himself on knowing right from wrong. So remove that aspect of him, and he's going around like using ruthless logic and not caring about the consequences for like a minute, yeah. minute and a half, and then they forget that, and he just goes back to being Lister again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're, we're, when they're in, they specifically have a situation where if the character yeah. was being consistent one minute to the next, would just shoot everyone. And it's, it's this situation which is very funny of having the three of them in a Mexican standoff and then pull back and reveal yeah. <laughs> another Mexican standoff and another and Mexican another standoff. One. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all the real crew and all the polymorphs are there. But, yeah, like you say, if you <laughs> Lister, who is then just ruthless enough to just shoot people that may or may not have been the cats, the real Lister would come along and shoot everyone around him. Yeah, to save himself. Yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah, in between the last scene and this one, that aspect of Lister has completely disappeared from the script. Yeah, it's just default Lister. Yeah. Which again, if this was a sketch show, <laughs> it would be more palatable. It's just, yeah, it, there, was, there was just, there was too, too many things going on here. and So, yeah, this now becomes the thing again. <laughs> where it becomes, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I can't trust you because you might be the imposter. And they're all like that. You know, they're all, oh, well, we need a test. Could have had sure a whole episode like this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now then, gentlemen, trim your toenails. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, sir- sirens are really derivative, aren't they? What a shit episode. <laughs> yeah, so we're getting up to the, the, the resolution here. So... Why does he does he behave like that to lull them all into a false sense of security? But cat, For some reason, know. yeah, he's just acting like he doesn't <laughs> give a shit, and then he'll turn up in a minute, presumably having gone up another lift slightly before everyone else, <laughs> and to shoot every all the polymorphs because a mama knows his kids, uh, her kids. 
Yeah. It's just, it's, I can't quite explain why this is so weird, but it is. Just, it's so, it's, I don't want to use the phrase that people on the internet use and it's wrong, of deus ex machina, because it's not that. But it's the kind of thing. Deus ex momina. Where, <laughs> <momina>. <laughs> just all of a sudden, the cat turns up and solves the problem. Yeah. With no indication that he would be able to do that or wanted to do that. And it's just like, okay, we've finished this plot now. Yeah. Knock that on the head. Move on. Duck, Duck's it's now a, looking it's at the It's a really abrupt ending. It's not an abrupt ending to the episode, but it's a really abrupt ending to the main plot yeah. where they're on their way to the science lab to figure out a solution. And then the solution just turns up uninvited and foreseen. And then the punchline is Cat in bed with two women. 40 uh, years who, junior. At the time, I worked out that um, their combined age was less than Danny's age. <laughs> <laughs> it's again, you know, they say they can't write for women. Yeah, and it make, makes, me, makes me feel like Danny submitted this scene. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is his version of Beyond a Joke. <laughs> Uh, pipe me is a good, uh, <laughs> it's a good line. But yeah, it's, and it's the end to series eleven as well. Yeah, it's the, a good that series. Being the last episode of a series. Yeah, it kind of for a while made me think less of series eleven overall because mm. it just ended on quite a sour note. Um, yeah, if you know, with the original plan, it ended on Twentica. Twentica has its issues, obviously, but it, it would be a hell of a stronger ending. <laughs> feel like a finale I've just noticed that the uh, credits mention Mike Tucker Nick Cooler and Rocky Marshall is that to do with that's not the polymorph is it no I think what that is is um, on episode 6 or or on the final episode of a series it's customary to include absolutely everyone that's worked on the series in in the titles whereas for the mid for the rest of the series, it's just ah. kind of the heads, the heads of department. Okay. So that will be for their work across the series. Oh, okay, fair enough. Oh, and you like say, credit, credit you everyone at GMP. Like so, yeah. William Pearson. Oh, bless him. Yeah. So that was that. <laughs> yeah, it certainly was. That was that was series eleven, and you're right, like series twelve. At least has its terrible episode, and then um, follows it up with three of the better episodes yeah. of Dave era. Um, at least, kind of Worms has some actual moments in it that made me genuinely laugh out loud. Whereas I don't think Time Wave has any of that. Yeah, I think you're no. right. I'm, I'll be interested to see how many times that happens in Time Wave because I guarantee it probably won't be as many as Kind of Worms did. There's bits I forgot were actually really good in kind of worms that have that genuine surprise me because yeah. I've in my head it's always been like oh god I just don't want to bother with this episode I was in a bad mood wanting to do this comedy <laughs> 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 but it just just that sort of sense of foreboding that you get when you watch an episode that's not particularly great but it was yeah. worse than that it was a sense of five boding for me it's just badly paced it's just. It's a messy episode. It's a, yeah, it's a nothing. Mess. Yeah, I think as well. the The big problem here is that it it's a bad polymorph episode, and when you do that, you're you're tapping into something. It's like it's an imposter onto something that is dearly loved by. There's the an fan. expectation, yeah. and it's really not fulfilled. Yeah, and and polymorph two 
does. And it hurts because you really want it yeah. to be good. And you try your hardest. He's a Red Dwarf fan. You do genuinely try to make everything. You do try to see the yeah. positives and stuff. It's just not enough. I think there's like two episodes worth of ideas in that episode, if not, mm. you know. But they just it's just too much stopping and starting going on. Well, first start, you don't need the personality machine at all. For the amount of time it's used for. I mean, it's thematically necessary. It's like, oh, thematically, this is a bit like a polymorph, isn't it? And that's about as far as it really goes. It is, historically. It is how previous polymorphs have worked, mainly the first one and the book ones, taking out one emotion at a time. In this episode, no one has anything removed. No. There was the threat of the cat having his having his emotions taken out of him. So they were trying to stop the cat having his emotions eaten. But no one actually mm. gets their emotions eaten, apart from no. voluntarily. And so you don't get what was the point of, <laughs> of Polymorph and of Emo Hawk, <laughs> of seeing alternate versions of the characters and exploring the characters through that. Yeah. You know, you take away one key aspect of a character and what's left and what changes them and, and what, you know, how dramatically do they change and why so yeah you're right Danny there's two episodes worth of ideas here but about a third of an episode's worth of good material <laughs> and that's the problem Classic. and for the end of series it's a bit of a downer to be fair it was definitely the most disappointing thing to happen in 2016 it does have those bits that make you laugh it does have an interesting bits of plot it's just they're so few and far between and so fleeting as soon as they start they seem to finish and they move on to the next thing and yeah it's just, it's like a story being told to you by a child where it's just this happens and then this and then, happens and then this happens and then this happens. Then the guy comes in and then shoots them all and then they uh, go home and have, and have Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's full of sex with a woman, of course, back on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, because we knew that series 12 was happening, then it mm. was a bit of a reprieve that we were like it's not the last episode we know it's not the last episode for a, it's long a bit while, of a tonic so yeah. we could forgive it as like a we're not as annoyed as we would be if this was like the last episode for a long while because we'd have just been like yeah. this was a really only the good kind of annoyance yeah is it worse than yeah. only the good uh let's see yeah, what the it, public yeah, says it, yeah it's i think the pearl pole probably says it is yeah it is worse than only the good um but yeah with every last episode of a series apart from can of worms since back to earth onwards has potentially been the last ever red dwarf not just the last Mm. for a while Mm. and so yeah if if it had been series 12 that had ended with that then it would be a huge worry Mm. i think as it was it's like okay well there's another series coming our way in a year it's basically nanaki then isn't it yeah not quite but close enough like i think series eight following series seven is is almost like a series two following series one sort of a things like it was guaranteed that it was happening but it wasn't part of the same block yeah 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 that's right if not officially then everyone knew that there was going to be two more series of eight yeah yeah so i still kind of on one level find it difficult to separate 11 and 12 when i'm looking back at them but there is a difference, I think, is obviously the lines are a bit blurred, but series 11 seems more like, I mean, it is, but it seems more like a direct continuation of series 10 <laughs> in that in many ways. They're, doing the, they're doing the same sort of things. Yeah. You mean. Uh, they're telling the same sort of stories. They're doing it on a bigger scale and with a better or more efficient use of the budget. 
Um, there's more locations. It looks a lot prettier. It's a lot more polished. But it's the continued adventures. Uh, whereas series 12, which obviously we'll come to in our commentaries, in almost all instances takes things to the extreme in the same way that Crisis does here. Crisis could could fit in series 12. It's a pilot for 12, isn't it? But I'm not sure any of the others would because they don't deviate too far from a conventional Red Dwarf story, which by definition, you know, what is conventional in terms of Red Dwarf? Yeah. By the standards of any other sitcom, conventional Red Dwarf is batshit crazy. But with series twelve, they went batshit crazy even by Red Dwarf standards. And it's nice. It's nice that there was there was clearly a conscious decision there to like draw a line between the two series because obviously the problem you'd be fighting is that is making twelve episodes of basically the same shtick. Yeah, and and obviously a lot of effort was put into that not being the case. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. In hindsight, eleven feels very traditional. Or you know, as as traditional as it could have felt at the time, whereas twelve was at the time even we were just like, yeah, twelve is going to be weird, <clears throat> and a lot of us had already seen Mister Rat at this point, and we're just waiting for that <laughs> to drop. A lot of the feedback when we were coming back from the set reports and stuff was just that series twelve is just very weird, odd. Yeah, like, that was the thing <laughs> we took away from it was that it's the weird series. Yeah, no one was sure whether it was good or not, and I, I think like in some cases, like Time Wave, it was weird and terrible. And in some cases, like um, it was weird and brilliant. I mean, yeah, I, I guess, I guess um, Skipper, it was weird and brilliant. But that's all still to come. But with series eight, uh, series eight, no, <laughs> series eleven, uh, having rewatched it all over the course of the last few weeks with you guys, there's more good than bad in series eleven. Yeah, I think, by a mile. Sure. Yeah, yeah, by absolutely. Um, even the episodes, like even Can of Worms, we found some good things to enjoy, and it's just that they're too few and far between uh the second worst is samsara and even that's got some good bits and there's just like one bit in the middle that really drags and lets it down yeah other than that aside from the odd pacing issue and the fact that some episodes just end (laughs) mid-sentence we've really enjoyed it i think Mm, i I definitely say we yeah (laughs) we all have the same opinion obviously (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh it's it's pretty solid it's very enjoyable for sure i mean and and what we're gonna see with 12 is like everyone like um the flow really start like you know if you if you think of 11 as like a warm-up like you can see things coming together really nicely in 12 but i think um maybe that's doing 11 even a disservice because i I think you know it does hit the ground running in a lot of ways and it stands up after you know I, i always say that with red dwarf even if your overall opinion doesn't vary a great deal from your initial viewing, even if you're you're often still overall positive or overall negative after repeated viewings, but it does take a, a while for it to settle down and for you to give it the amount of thought that you that we've given. Not quite the same amount of thought, no. obviously, because you need, need a couple of decades, years, but the same kind of level of thought that we've given to earlier series. Yeah, and yeah, it does stand up, um, and I think in some ways. Series 10 kind of became worse off by comparison um, from when you look back at Series 10 now, you can see the faults a lot more, and they're mainly in terms of the production values and stuff mm, like that yeah. rather than anything to do with the stories. But um, Series 11, four years on, does still hold up well. Yeah. And yeah, I think now that now that opinions have settled down and it's it's a lot less raw and emotional, it's a good series. Yeah. Fucking hell, guys. The Promised Land was this year. <laughs> I know, right? 
And simultaneously, it was about 10,000 years ago. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, that's a point about can of worms that I meant to make. Is that it sells us the dummy of cat meeting a female cat and what happens. And like obviously, he starts flirting and going into seduction mode and, and does whatever he can to sleep with her and procreate and everything else. Yeah. And then seven episodes later, we have The Promised Land, where Cat meets two actual real cat women, <laughs> spends loads of times with them, and does not give a shit. Doesn't even give a shit. He's not they even are remotely cat. interested. <laughs> well, he's got burnt ones, hasn't he? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> he, took, he took one look at them, saw that they didn't have a massive pipe to shove down his throat, and wasn't interested. Yeah, I was going to say, like nothing, nothing can really live up to that. It's, it, it does sound like he actually incredibly enjoyed that experience, and basically no cat will ever live up to uh, what it's like to fuck a polymorph. <laughs> uh, I think we're done with this discussion, aren't we? Once you go gelf, <laughs> everything else gets left on the shelf. <laughs> oh, God. Why haven't we done a gelf on the shelf? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gelf on the shelf. Because it could be anything. It could, it <laughs> yeah. could be the elf. <laughs> oh, mate. Well, that's a, any tips for parents out there? If you've got kids who want you to do Elf in the Shelf, but you can't be asked because it's a massive commitment, do Galf on the Shelf, and then every day just point to a different object on your shelf and say, yeah, that's a polymorph. It's fun. <laughs> and it's watching you. <laughs> and it'll remove all your sense of Christmas joy. <laughs> and that's parenting. Let's uh, see what's coming down this particular massive pipe thing that's been shoved down <laughs> your throat. Oh, it's some waffles. Oh, the can of it's a surprise. A can of waffles. These, these waffles are trying to get out of the can, and we have to deal with them. Well, luckily, we have a segment for that, which we like to call... Ah, so you're a waffle, waffle man. man. Waffle man! <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first waffle in itself is quite waffly uh, from International Debris. Uh, so I'm just going to read their comment and we'll figure out what we're going to talk about because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff packed in it. So International Debris says, For me, part of Red Dwarf is the look of the show. I actually think one of the biggest barriers to me enjoying the Dave era quite as much as the bubble, other than the scripts blatantly needing another draft, is how polished it looks. I'm not going to go down the it was better with wobbly sets route, but because most of my time watching the show has come from playing my one to six tapes over and over, the grainy video look has become part of the texture of the program itself, and in some ways the modern digital look is even more of a barrier than the film look layer on seven was. Maybe it's partially because the slightly gritty look adds to the grimy feel of the ship. Maybe it's nostalgia. Maybe it's the huge leaps taken between eras. But I always wish the show looked just a bit murkier. That is not a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, we said <laughs> questions or topics. Yeah. Okay. And that's that's a good starting point for a topic, I think. So that's nostalgia. That that sounds to me... I wouldn't be surprised if International Debris' favourite series was three, based on that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because mm. three is like... Three is almost like falling it's apart it's like it's like the video is melting in front of you like it's so yeah. poor quality and i get that i do get it it's a tribute to how different styles in different eras can be so evocative i think mm. i'm going to relate this back to doctor who which i seem to do quite a lot when talking about it's almost as if you watched the entirety of doctor who recently <laughs> well not recently anymore but i did watch the entirety of doctor who from 1963 to 2018 i think it was uh, when i finished and as i was working my way through the classic era 
certain milestones struck out, like obviously when they went to colour, that was a big milestone. But the biggest one for me was when they started shooting location stuff on video instead of on film. Because I never watched Doctor Who as a kid, but it started to look like the kind of things I did watch as a kid, where everything's got this flat overall video look. All of a sudden, it became a type of TV that I was familiar with, and I started to enjoy it more. Obviously with variations when, you know, Colin Baker was shit, etc. But I think that is kind of what International Debris is getting at. They feel incredibly nostalgic for the type of TV that was made when TV looked like Series 1 to 6 looks. Yeah, that that all video look. Yeah. And obviously within Series 1 to 6, though, there is a huge variation in quality. There's a leap in in Series 4 because that's when they moved to Shepparton. Mm. And they are using better quality cameras and better quality tape stock than they were at uh, Oxford Road, Manchester. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, like the the topic in here that caught my eye is this talk of, of a barrier being put between you and the, mm. the comedy, basically, because a lot is said about how the progressive look, which has been with Red Dwarf now permanently since Back to Earth. Yes. Correct. And the debate about whether that puts a barrier on whether the lower frame rate giving it the film feel Whereas, ironically, at this point, there's such a huge noise barrier between us and those earlier ones just because of quality reasons rather than stylistic reasons. So it's like it's two separate things. Mm. It's weird how everyone's got their preconceptions about what the different video styles and film styles actually mean. I've heard people say that video look makes things feel more real to them, and I've heard people say that video look makes things feel artificial to them. Mm-hmm. And the same for the film look. It's like it's all so jumbled up, and everyone has completely different ways of looking at this that it's almost impossible to kind of make any sort of objective comments on it. <laughs> yeah, it all it's all stuff that's just coded into us, and I guess it, it depends a lot on age and how you experience things. Because... It doesn't really matter what a show is made in because on different streaming platforms it could look different to how it looks on TV. Yeah. And then it will look different to that on Blu-ray or DVD if anyone still uses physical media. Uh, it'll look different on a download uh, to how it looks on TV or on a streaming service. And so I, I think people of a younger generation to us will either be very confused a lot of the time <laughs> as to what they're looking at and what signals it's sending or just kind of transcend that stuff yeah and just see it as content and not be as bothered as we are about quality and progressive versus interlaced etc yeah yeah i, th- I think it, as things maybe become a bit more homogenous and you're right like something could like it's possible in this day and age that a program could be made could, could be shot you know with video look 60 frames a second or 50 frames a second i guess is still mm. the standard in this country even though ntsc and pal is not really a thing anymore I work in TV and I'm not sure. You could put it on a streaming service, a professional streaming service, and it could crunch it down to like 25 frames a second and progressive. Like, yeah. like there's all sorts of weird codec things that could happen halfway through and mistakes that can completely change it anyway. So it's almost the point of like, don't worry. It's hard to tell what the intention is. Is it an accident? Is that is it supposed to look like this? Is it supposed to look different? Yeah. The only example where I can see a, a comparison between what was shot and what is delivered, when you look at the extra stuff on League of Gentlemen, when you see mm. the original 50i footage before they apply the film effect, which kind of takes it down to yeah. 25. Yeah. And there is a genuine change where it goes from looking cheap to looking more polished, which is interesting. But only without the comparison there do I realise that it was there in the first place. 
and if they had been filming that to be video look when it goes out, presumably it would have been, there would have been decisions made at the time of filming that would have completely transformed that. But because they knew yeah. it was going to go through that process, they knew yes. what they needed to do to get good enough for that. I remember those bits of footage as well, Danny. Because, yeah, it does strike out. And it, it's a lot brighter, yeah. the lighting. And that's because when you make something progressive, uh, it gets darker and murkier and blurrier. And so, A, that disguises the cheapness by, by making yeah. it uh, hidden in the background and, mm-hmm. and giving you less detail, therefore make makes a cheap set look quite cool and atmospheric but also the raw untreated footage looks like shit because it's not never meant to be seen because like it's been now, shot to be converted yeah like it's people knowing exactly what they're doing at every, at and every that's, stage and yeah. that's a di- that's a big difference between series seven and remastered yeah because at series seven we can and have for 23 years debated the merits <laughs> of um it looking how it looks but on a technical level, and especially for 97, but even by current standards, it doesn't look bad. No, it nice. looks perfectly serviceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's well lit, it's well shot, it's good. But when you apply those same filters to Series 1 to 3, which were shot for video and are designed to look like video, it looks awful. Yeah. And anyone anyone that got um, the original release of the Series 1 to 8 Blu-ray and decided to watch Back to Reality... Um, if your eyes are still in your sockets, um, then you'll know that it looked terrible before you scratched them out. Oh, we're going, but we are going back to the whole. It was better with wobbly sets, but I'm not saying that the sets were badly made, but they were made with detail not to be as scrutinised as it can be now with high definition mm. and things like that. So you have sets that are made to a specific standard because of the quality of the cameras, and it was like, it looks good enough on camera, so that's fine. Mm. But if you apply that same set principle to a better camera, you're going to have problems because you're going to have the faults much more visible. There was a whole thing when HD started becoming standard in British Tilly around around about a decade ago, maybe a bit more. Of Yeah, all of a sudden, there was a lot more work for the art department and the costume department and makeup to do. Yeah. Because yeah, like you say, as long as it looked all right on camera, it doesn't matter. So like you can have fast, you know, anything that's in the background of shot could just be literally a, a printout of some books on a shelf, and that's fine. Yeah. But when you get HD and you turn on HD, it looks like a printout of some books on a shelf. You can see and the so wrinkles. You need to, in the paper you need to go and source a load of books and put yeah. them on the shelf. Yeah. As unique as Red Dwarf is. Essentially, in the 80s, it was an 80s sitcom, and in the 90s, it was a 90s sitcom, and now it is inhabiting the same space as all the, the, the kind of the transmedia. Like everything's very, nothing's really of a type anymore. It's kind of what uh, it, 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 it's not really restricted by the form, if you know what I mean. It's just like you literally just see what you get. So, like in the 80s and 90s, you, it is just a series of sitcom sets, just like any other yeah. sitcom. And then it was suddenly when we get to the point where guess back to earth onwards where you could start doing some virtual sets start dropping some stuff in there start doing all the things that films have been doing for a while that's when you get people thinking oh this looks flashy this looks expensive mm. when really what they mean is this this is different it's doing a different thing now this looks current this looks current i guess all, yeah it's always current. because because essentially red dwarf was 
a sitcom with all of the trappings of a sitcom um production wise really apart like the, the it pushed the boundaries with the intercut special effects and on set like yeah. special effects but essentially you know it still it still has all the same sort of coziness that you would you would have from the other sitcoms that you love like blackadder and in many ways current dwarf while the production values like you say correctly have matched have always matched uh, what's going on and current dwarf certainly matches your expectation for a sitcom it is still a bit of a hodgepodge because you don't expect any like any current sitcoms really to be studio audience sitcoms. No. Other than your Mrs. Brown's boys and I mean there's probably other examples but Miranda keeps coming think... back every now and then, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Not going out. There's a handful of sitcoms that still do audience and those that do are interlaced. And there is an argument to be had that having a laugh track and having a live audience, particularly a live audience, and the progressive look is a bit of a mismatch of styles that does, for some people, have a barrier. So it's kind of either one or the other. Either you have it looking how it looks and you shoot it single camera in a a way that is now the convention for most sitcoms, or you go, oh, still open all hours. A sitcom that was filmed alongside Red Dwarf, it literally like, alongside uh, <laughs> in the studio next door for series eleven and twelve, but shot with a studio audience interlaced in the same way that Open All Hours was, <laughs> and in the same way that Red Dwarf one to six and eight were. But yeah, there is an argument, and there are people that say that either go for this modern swish look, this current look, but go all out, or deliberately dial it back yeah. and have it more of a of an audience sitcom, more of a, a filmed stage play type feel. Maybe, maybe this is like a hankering for when things were 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 simpler. Because basically, go back far enough, and studio stuff is on videotape because of cost and portability, and films used for the external stuff for exactly the same reasons because of cost versus portability ratio, basically. And as soon as we hit a point where all of these different looks became an artistic choice rather than a practical choice, all of a sudden this is when the giant arguments about it start. And, you know, as soon as it becomes a subjective thing and we realise that absolutely no one has a consent, there is no consensus about what's best for what job even. I don't agree with the decision that Red Dwarf has made about its presentation. I would prefer it to be video look, essentially. But, yeah, as soon as that decision has been, you know, is no longer made for you and is an artistic one, that's when when the Mm. trouble started, really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because, yeah, of course something that was made in the 60s or 70s looks the way it does because that was the only way that's to do it. it that's how it looks yeah and it's tied yeah. to its time frame so you don't even think about it that's yeah. just what it is yeah and and maybe that's it the, the, the people that want um, sitcoms to kind of look like that maybe uh, almost all have like have that kind of emotional center in the 80s uh, and 90s with with the sitcoms that they loved growing up and it's it's that is what a sitcom feels like it should be even if it's red dwarf and it's like science fiction show as well Mm. well i think we've covered that one (laughs) yeah i'm glad we sorted that out basically international debris just get over it (laughs) that's a great uh, statement no thank you we have a question that's coming from at david 66393582 the 66,393,582nd of the davids (laughs) That might be about right. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of Davids. 
he has cloned his genome, so he could be one of those. He asks, will they ever go to Garbage World or something like it in the show? Also, I've forgotten the name, but I want them to visit the big garden indoor thing on the Red Dwarf ship, budget allowing. Botanical gardens. Presumably. Yes. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess so. I thought it was the Remembrance Garden. I'd forgotten about that. What's that mentioned him? Back to Earth. As I have forgotten about. Oh, right. I should have guessed you were making a joke of the fact you were smiling. (laughs) So we mentioned this in the last book club, I think. Yes. That basically, if, like, I mean, I would love the show to finish with some sort of adaptation of Garbage World. Yeah. Um, just because it's thematically a very, it's a very cool idea, and it's it's a really good way of getting Lister back to back on Earth without it being the obvious way of going back to Earth and Earth. Which, yeah, we spoke about that last time, and then afterwards, I got to thinking, how exactly would that have worked in series four? In that mm. they weren't intending to finish the show in series four. It wouldn't have been Earth, I think. They must have had, yeah, they'd have had to do a planet that's entirely made of garbage and that has cockroaches on it and, and maybe some gulfs or of some description lurking there, some dangers lurking within. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if they'd have specifically done the thing of, yeah, this is Earth, Lister is now back at Earth, then the show wouldn't have continued, surely. Yeah, it would have been crying would have been, oh, you know, I know this. This is the um the tenth planet that they discovered in the late twenty second century, uh, you know, and that they turned Mondas. into garbage worlds. Yeah, Mondas is <laughs> Mondas <laughs> And and thus we'll have the the seventeenth Cyberman ob- origin story. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't really have anything to say about that question. I just wanted to um, steal out of Buxton's joke about <laughs> people with numbers in their well, usernames. So we'll move on. There's an interesting point here, which is Red Dwarf doing big settings, mm. which is something that doesn't really happen. Um, I mean, is is that a Red Dwarfy thing to do? Like you know, big big flashy stuff like that or should it always be insular well the fact that they have planned to do i mean they but literally planned have. to do garbage world or wanted to do garbage world but yeah. couldn't and then earth in series eight exactly what i was going to say yeah the the plan for the series eight was to end with a big spectacular crash of red dwarf crashing back down to earth so maybe you know maybe it's a sign of just don't bother yeah don't bother <laughs> yeah if the realities keep stopping you doing it i mean the, the... But then i guess they've kind of Back to Earth, of all things, has done, because of the sheer amount of virtual sets and the amount of um, CGI tinkering that went on, uh, Mike Seymour basically volunteered his and all his um, PhD students' time to making things. And so you've got that big shot of London with the Tyrell building and stuff like that. That's probably the biggest scale things that we've seen, Yeah, yeah. I guess. For sure, yeah. Um and there's the universe. Yeah, and that's uh, because they are that, on that Earth. All looks yeah, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely getting close. They're close. I mean, they could certainly do the botanical. I mean, exploring more of Red Dwarf is like, it's quite high up on everyone's wish list, really, isn't it? Um, so, they, yeah. yeah, they could certainly do something like that. But I've always wanted to see inside the asteroid that's carved into the side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always kind of imagined it being like scaffold, like it's been hollowed out from the inside. It's like a little hat on the side of it. Well, it's like a training ground, isn't it, for them to to test or to to train people up with. Or it was obviously an accident that was turned into something they could use. They hollowed it out and filmed the uh, moon landings in there. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because that was not less costly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's always kind of like areas of the ship I'd like to see 
bits of like it, obviously we saw the scoop but it was done in a very it was nice that we got it but it looked very done in 30 seconds kind of thing but it was a nice yeah. expansion of something we haven't seen before but you know god i even forgot that we did uh, yeah that intention that that line of thought is one that i'd love to encourage uh, um yeah mess like the, the sign on the stairs that's actually really fucking good I always thought if they were ever going to do Garbage World, it would have to be like a. It couldn't be a single episode. It would have to be like a two or three part. And it would have to be the end. Yeah, and and if it was going to be Earth, then that would be the end of Red Dwarf. But you know, and yeah. if they're going to end it that way, that's how they end it. Now that ninety-minute specials are a viable thing, it could be it could be a single ninety-minute episode extension. Of yeah. Vi- viable certainly is an optimistic word. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would, if, yeah. if, if ever Red Dwarf ever actually announced a Garbage World special, I would be slightly sad because of what that could mean. But also, I was like, oh, they actually finally did it. Like, because it's good. It has, it has so much potential. If it, I mean, if they're going to do that and going to do cockroaches, then it's going to have to be something directed by Doug because Ed needs to stick to his guns and never direct anything with cockroaches <laughs> in it. I've just realised how much Wally basically takes Garbage World as a concept, <laughs> in, including oh, the cockroaches. <laughs> so already, if you want to see Garbage made World, it. go watch Wally. Just someone recut it with a Red Dwarf series three onwards opening sequence at the start. <laughs> That's a really good idea. <laughs> just replace Wally with a scutter. That's doable. Do that in After Effects. All right. Well, there you go, David. Uh, Sixty-six million three hundred ninety-three thousand five hundred eighty-two. <laughs> further waffle uh, from Milo Scat. If you could promote one previous guest character to main cast status a la Crichton, who would it be? Well, ultimately nobody. Because yeah. <laughs> at this stage, I don't think it would benefit Red Dwarf at all to change the, the, the current car. dynamic and those four. Other than, you know, Norman as Holly worked pretty well in yeah. The Promised Land and I assume if there's further Dwarf then Norman will be in it. But... In taking it in the spirit it's intended as a hypothetical. Ruby Wax. <laughs> Blaze Falcon, yeah. specifically. Yeah. There to commentate on... <laughs> every, absolutely everything. Like She comments on every single scene, constantly. I kind of want to say Butler. Yeah, even though that's like... That. We've kind of... That it has already happened in that Crichton was rescued from a Nova ship and became part of the crew. Uh, but that I think that's just because I love Butler so much. Yeah. I do like Butler as a character, but I can't see him as a regular character. You, know, you get on no, your tits. Yeah. That's part of the problem. I want to see Snacky as a more regular character. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. no issue with having Snacky pop up. Like, when you say regular cast member, what you mean is a character that's in every episode with the four guys. That's not going to happen, but... If you're going to talk about people who I'd like to see more regularly, like Snacky's been completely forgotten. About. Maybe with the same frequency yeah. as Hattie's Holly, like you know Hattie's Holly towards the end, like was was a bit on on and off. Like you would maybe even have an episode where she was barely in it at all. Maybe that sort of level where they don't dominate the episode, but they're there every episode. Yeah. Well, yeah. In series eight, there was at least six main characters. Uh, so there's the main four: Kachansky, Holly, <laughs> yeah. plus Hollister. Plus Ackerman, plus Kill Crazy, plus Baxter. Mm. So we don't want to go down that route. What about think. Hollister? What about Hollister? Hollister I mean, yeah. as a as a main in the round with the four. Yeah, yeah. Like they pick him up and he is just full on. He is part of the crew along with power struggles with him and him and Rimmer. Well, that would that would really mess Rimmer up. That is a very interesting idea. <laughs> I mean, we love Mac, right? Like, Mac could definitely bring good stuff to it. Um, Hollister, as a character, has been badly served in the past. 
So it's a risky yeah. one, but I think it could probably work because he brings a different dynamic. He's kind of a mixture of Rimmer and Lister, right? Well, it's Holly and Lister. Hollister. <laughs> Name <laughs> It's weird because it would, it would really shake the apple tree because mm. you've got Rimmer, mm. who is, in terms of rank, he is the highest ranking person in the room, even though he's only one above Lister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Cat doesn't have a rank, and Crichton is technically a servant. So, so Hollister would immediately overstep. But maybe if... I don't know. There'd have to be some like contrivance as to how Hollister would end up working on the same level as them guys. It would dominate every episode, wouldn't it? As like because the power struggle at the heart of it would probably mm. yeah. I always thought that Hoagie the Rogie should come back oh, as yeah. <laughs> I think Hoagie would work as a Buflowski family. Uh, from <laughs> from the young ones of just like turning up at the door every now and then. I'm not really a simulant, you know. I just do it to appear more sophisticated. <laughs> in the Davia in particular, there's this collection of characters that are either out there or in there. I mean, you've mm. still got Snacky, as we've mentioned, is on board. Yeah, Talkie Toaster is repaired, and as far as we know, is still on in the. Uh, garbage hold you could maintain having him every third episode or something just pipe yeah. up with something or other every yeah. now and then yeah so yeah there is like you could make it more of a a traditional sitcom ensemble where you've obviously you've got the core characters who were there absolutely all the time and the plots are there around them but then you've got these regulars that pop up and make the world feel a little bit more detailed and a bit more populated <laughs> which is obviously going massively against the original intentions of Red Dwarf, of uh, the isolation and <laughs> yeah. the loneliness. But that ship has long since sailed. Yeah. Like As we've said many times, they're now living in an area of space where they have neighbours. They have Hoagie the Rogie that can pop in every now and then. You've got Buck the audience there making, cheering. Friends, <laughs> making friends with Galfs and chatting the, to the universe. Equa Hecte is a regular character. <laughs> yeah. And like every every episode he walks in, Butler says, Equa Hecte, and the audience just clap for about five minutes and then carry on with the scene. <laughs> All right, see ya. Flowers start getting thrown at him from off camera. Uh, now, basically, we do want to just turn Red Dwarf into the young ones here, don't we? <laughs> Bring back Paul Jackson and Ed By and get them to make the young ones, but with Seriously Red bring back Ed By. <laughs> like, please I mean Doug's a, Doug's a good director he's a great director but I just want to see Ed by have an influence on Red Dwarf that's that's really all it comes down to yeah yeah Gilbert <laughs> I mean he's everyone's favourite Kevin the polymorph is a domesticated polymorph <laughs> oh pardon me <laughs> actually I would like Gordon to be a regular character oh the oh, yeah. computer <laughs> That Holly's plays postal chess with. Oh, that would be good. such a regular character that he plays Holly. <laughs> instead, yeah, instead of Norman coming back as Holly again, for whatever follows the promised land, it should start with uh, an off-screen explanation that Holly's gone down again, and they've tried to reboot him, but they got the wrong one, and they've accidentally rebooted Gordon, and now Gordon controls Red Dwarf. That's what I want to happen now from the next episode of Red Dwarf. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, maybe. In terms of new characters, there could be something in our final waffle today, which has come from at Dwarf Starbug Girl, who says, A Red Dwarf and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy crossover. What would it be like if the two crews met? I, th- I think hilarity would ensue. <laughs> well, people have tried to write Hitchhiker's stuff um, who are not Douglas Adams. 
but we don't talk about that. No. The fact that they published a book of fan fiction and then had the gall to convert that into a radio series with the cast is sickening. It um, picks picks the bones of like some old abandoned story of of Douglas's as well, doesn't it? It's like it's yeah. It's like it's like hanging like skin on a like skeleton. vultures around a carcass. I think there is mileage in an episode where Crichton takes Marvin under his wing and tries to pep him up a bit. You know, show, <laughs> yeah. shows him a good time around the ship and tries to tries to lift his spirits a little bit. I think I think there's definitely mileage in that. So you're saying Marvin is basically Crichton in crisis yeah he needs a shot in the arm i mean marvin needs needs a friend for sure and i think Crichton is that person but what would happen would be that they spend the day together and by the end of it marvin has been so depressed throughout that Crichton is starting to feel glum yeah but the fact that um marvin has influenced Crichton into feeling that way makes marvin happy and so in the end the real uh, journey was the friends they made along the way. <laughs> That's true. I mean, like, so Ford would get on with anyone, I guess. Yeah, as long as he's not played by Mosdiff. Actually, Ford would probably just piss off and explore Red Dwarf, assuming that it's the Hitchhiker's cast coming over into Red Dwarf. I think Ford would probably just end up getting lost in Red Dwarf, exploring, and we probably wouldn't hear from him for a while. Arthur would get into an argument with dispensing machines about tea. Oh, yeah, he'd be permanently arguing with, with vending machines. Arthur and Rimmer are fairly similar characters. They'd definitely get on, wouldn't they? Arthur is a lot more likeable than Rimmer and a lot less damaged than Rimmer. But they do share a lot of pedantry and you know, getting annoyed with technology and with aspects of life. Yeah, definitely. And presuming that you know the Hitchhiker's cast coming into the Red Dwarf universe, Trillian would mainly just be looking for cottage cheese with pineapple chunks in and um, yeah. complaining about not being able to have a bath. And then just disappearing for a series at a time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Kachansky and Trillian do have a lot in common. That they're both female characters written by geniuses who can't write women. <laughs> yes, that is. Uh, I don't know. Trillian like is a much better character than Kachansky. For for what? For what she well, it is. depends, doesn't it? It depends on whether. You're reading the books, watching the TV series, or listening to the radio series, and then even then, it depends which radio series you're listening to. <laughs> That's true. To, best she, Trillion she doesn't have a consistent character. Yeah, Best Trillion is uh, is is original radio series. Oh man, I, I actually I have no idea how I'm going to go with this one. <laughs> I've got I've got a soft spot for TV both. Trillion. I love TV. Yeah. yeah. Towards the end, there was um, I can't remember whether it was book four or five slash uh, series four or five that where that you had both Trillions. You had Trillion and Trisha McMillan. Sandra Dickinson oh, was in it, as along with Thingy, not Susan Sarandon. <laughs> Susan Sheridan, not Susan Sarandon. Of course, all this is possible because both Red Dwarf and Hitchhikers subscribe to multiverse theory. Um, so Back to Earth tells us that any reality that can be possible is a is a thing. And so, if a if a universe where our crew are fictional um, characters in a TV show exists, then also there is a universe where the fictional characters from Hitchhikers exist as real characters. It would have to be the so TV. It would have to be the TV universe of Red Dwarf, though, because only the TV universe subscribes to the infinite parallel universes. Yeah. The books <laughs> series has six or seven or eight. <laughs> I can't remember how many. We only just read it last week. Yeah. <laughs> Of which the TV series is presumably one of them. Yeah. (laughs) 
and yeah and in uh hitchhikers there is a thing of infinite universes because the, um, the existence the existence of the earth is a fixed point and so therefore alternate versions of earth keep popping up every time someone destroys our earth um and so therefore the if if there's an infinite number of universes and and also infinite improbability mm. which can conjure up anything from anywhere then the red dwarf crew could easily turn up in hitchhikers fucking simple does that not piss on the no aliens rule though? Uh, none uh, of them are an yeah. alien. Oh yeah, yeah. Zaphod's an alien, and so is yeah. One of the main characters is an alien. <laughs> I mean, and the pretty close to home though. I mean, there's Vogons, Vogans, Terry Vogan. <laughs> In Hitchhikers, the human race are aliens. They're Golga Frinchians. Oh yeah, they originate from another planet. Anyway, funny old world, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, with the with the BR, uh, yeah, with the BR, yeah, yeah. There's so much in Hitchhikers that you f- you forget big chunks of it, but it's still mm. there in your head. <laughs> like I always forget how the whole like story fits together at all. I remember chunks of it, but then when you when you reread it again, suddenly you remember how everything, uh, you know, how everything flows. Well, I think part of the problem there is that it <laughs> it changes depending on the medium. The medium once again, <laughs> exactly. Like the it, things happen in a different order, and the books get very confusing. Uh, the second radio series um, got retconned out of the storyline from. That's because <laughs> it was insane. Yeah, it's absolutely batshit. Um, Even though I really like series two of the radio series. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. Fenchurch. You mentioned Fenchurch. Uh, Fenchurch is played by Jane Horrocks in the radio series. Uh, she was in Red Dwarf, so actually, this can't happen. So, was... God, did I even listen to the quandary phase? It is quandary, isn't it? One of them. Quandary is the fourth one. I didn't. I think I listened. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I um, have a aversion to Dirk Max that I just <laughs> can't really get past, even if the source material is literally Douglas Adams's. I think it's um, they're worth listening to the three posthumous Hitchhikers radio series. I must have listened to them at the time because they are just direct. The problem with them is, is that they're, they're weird in that the books aren't an adaptation of the radio series and the radio series aren't an adaptation of the books. So the fact that three of the radio series are literally adaptations of the books now mm. just puts them in yeah. a really strange place. Uh, sorry, four of them are adaptations of books and one of them is <laughs> one of those one is of fake. It's, it's, like, it's like nothing Douglas Adams created ended up being straightforward in any way, shape, or form, including his Doctor Who stuff, like Sharda yeah. existing as various different things, including, God, yeah. including Dirk Gently. And Dirk Gently basically being like this infinitely reimagined thing for some reason that I can't quite figure out why Dirk Gently keeps getting made to be a completely different thing every now and then. It's so strange. Basically, if you're creative, write in your will that no one's allowed to do anything with any of your shit once you've died and it will it will solve all of this well the the thing about the hitchhiker's oeuvre about everything that's there is it's big i mean really big <laughs> you may think it's a long way between your house and the shops but that's just peanuts compared to the hitchhikers i mean listen i mean listen <laughs> and so on <laughs> i've been trying to come up with a pertinent hitchhiker's quote to end this section on and i think we're there <laughs> so on that note uh, there's some Vogans coming along to destroy us any minute, so we better get out our sub-ether network thumb <laughs> thing and fuck off. Fuck. Uh, 
I've drunk six pints of bitter <laughs> and some peanuts. So we're out of here. There's nothing wrong with being drunk. Listen, this is the outro now. And so that just about wraps it up for another dwarf cast, uh, and that will be the last commentary of 2020. Ah, oh. thank fuck. No, ah, oh. ah. Oh. <laughs> but we will return with more commentaries in the new year. And unsurprisingly, now that we've finished series 11, we're going to start doing series 12. So look out for that. Uh, but that won't be for a while. But meanwhile, we will be back with another book club. So that'll be the last one for now. So this isn't the last one for now. So carry on. <laughs> right. <laughs> now that that's clear. <laughs> as always, we urge you to stay at home. If that is the advice in your area, stay safe regardless. Advice anyway. It's always the advice in your area. Don't die of coronavirus. Get vaccinated. <laughs> get vaccinated. Up the villa. <laughs> All the best. Don't shoot yourself. If you do shoot <laughs> don't yourself, yourself don't make yourself off. And as always. Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Uh, but first, let me introduce myself. I am Ian Symes, and with me on this podcast, as always, is Donna Daniel Stevenson. <laughs> uh, meow, stuck hello. <laughs> Up since 6.15. That's going on at the end. <laughs>